We are talking about wisdom. Uh, the last number of weeks, we've been putting wisdom, as it were, under a microscope. We're defining it. We're trying to get an understanding of how wisdom works, how wisdom behaves, what it does, what it is. And uh, we're doing this so that we can understand better and test more accurately, do we have wisdom in our lives? Is it present with us or is it, uh, is it absent in our lives? So that is what we've been studying the last number of weeks. Uh, as we've looked at wisdom under a microscope, we've seen that it is a living whole. You can't slice it up and take part of God's wisdom, the part that you like or the part that you identify with, and uh, expect that wisdom to continue to live in your heart. By slicing it up, we kill it. The wisdom of God is a living whole, and the wisdom of God takes command of our lives. It changes us. It does not adapt to us. We adapt to it. And so we learned that right off the bat. The second thing we learned about wisdom is that it has habits. We called them virtues, virtues like prudence, ways of going through life. God's wisdom teaches us to develop habits in decision-making that not only save us from traps and difficulty and uh, rescue us from harm, but empower us to glorify God more powerfully, more deeply, and more consistently. Last week, we saw that wisdom comes to us through roles. If you put uh, cells under a microscope, you realize there are different types of cells for different functions, and wisdom comes to us uh, through the specific roles that we have in our lives. We're going to talk about that more in a moment, review that Uh, from last week uh, a little bit more in a few minutes. What we're going to see this morning as we look at wisdom again at this microscopic level is that wisdom comes with DNA. It comes with information that determines not only who we are, but what we do. And that DNA, that that information from wisdom that comes to us and gets built into our beings by the Spirit of God, that DNA is something that we call duty. I realize that I just crossed a line. I am not supposed to say that word. Duty is maybe the only four-letter word left in our country. The only word we just don't say. Because duty shouldn't be your motivation for doing anything. You should only be motivated by authenticity and sincerity. And if you can't do it sincerely, then doing it because it's a duty is actually Uh, wrong. It it actually inhibits your spiritual growth. Don't do anything because it's a duty. You know the illustration that gets used to make this point. It's a cliche, so I'll sketch it out for you. If a husband comes home to his wife with a batch of flowers and says, here, I'm doing my duty, then How is she going to receive that? Shouldn't he do it out of the authenticity and sincerity and overflow of his love and joy for you? You've heard this, right? 
So we're basically going to take that and throw it away this morning. Because what's wrong with that illustration is that it is no husband's duty to bring wife, his wife flowers. It's the wrong word for that kind of action. What he... Yeah, somebody's relieved over here. That, that, uh, what is a husband's duty toward his wife or a wife's duty toward her husband? Let's try fidelity. Now we're in the territory of duty. And I think we can all identify days when we may not feel like being the husband or wife that we are called to be by the Scriptures. But our job is to let that duty speak to us. You took this vow. You became this role in this woman's life, in this man's life. This is who you are. Stand up, rise up, and do the thing you have been called to do. The duty will change you. It will modify the way you feel. It will change your emotions. It will start to shape who you are. But do the thing that God has called you to do. And if you don't feel like it, that does not excuse you. Or we could turn this around and simply look at it this way. What is our reaction when a husband or a wife says to his or her spouse, I'm just not feeling it anymore, and my heart's not in this, so I'm leaving. I'm not going to be your spouse anymore. I'm not going to be in this house with you. I'm not going to be the parent to our children. We're going our separate ways. Are we supposed to praise that as sincere and authentic? Well, in our society, we are supposed to do that. Our society is dead wrong. And it's getting deader by the day. We need to come to grips with the fact that Proverbs, the Word of God as a whole, is coming to us from this this old point of view, that there are things we owe to each other. There are things we owe to God. And our job as human beings, by the grace of God, as we will talk about in a few minutes, redeemed by Him out of sin, our job is to step into those duties and answer those calls and do those things. If we embrace that, Proverbs says there is wisdom in our life. To the extent that we shove duty aside for whatever reason, Proverbs says it's folly. So let's come to grips with this this morning. And one wrinkle here is that because we are now a society that commends authenticity and sincerity above doing duty, 
Because we're that kind of society now, we are also becoming a deeply manipulative society. We're all in marketing now. We're all in advertising. We're all trying to find a way to get people to do the things we want them to do. And so one of the things that we do is we create false duties and we guilt people with those false duties. It could be that you're here this morning, you you hear this opening, this introduction to this sermon and you say, here we go. The tapes from my parents, the tapes from my spouse, all of these things, they're going to start playing again. And all I'm going to hear from this sermon is you're a horrible person because you're not doing the thing that I want you to do. You're a disappointment. You're not stepping up. You're not a good person. You're not this. You're not that. You're not meeting expectations. And part of the conflict that I have in bringing a sermon like this is that is the last thing that we need to hear. And so I'm going to ask you to trust me on this. In this sermon, it is not my desire, and I'm going to work very hard, not to weigh you down with false duties and expectations that build up a feeling of burden, obligation, and guilt that are then your motivations so that under a burden of fear anger and resentment, you go do what is expected of you. That is not the strategy that we're going to have this morning. Because that is, a, that is a killing thing. What I want to do this morning is look with you at what real duties are so that you, once you know the real ones, can spot a fake one. Here's my proposition to you. If you understand what a real duty is from Proverbs, from the Lord, You are freed from the manipulators in your life who are always trying to capture your conscience with fake duties and make you do the things that they conspire for you to do. So if we're on board with that, if you'll trust me that far, let's dive in this morning. And when I'm not being facetious, I know that this is a word, there is, there is a reason why this has become a four-letter word. It's become a four-letter word because people have been abused with this word. And um, so I am asking you to give me trust as we study this this morning. Let's dive in to our passage and get some principles from Proverbs. First, a review of what we said last week. The wisdom of God comes to us in roles. We looked in depth at the life of Solomon, the author of this book, the human author of it, and we saw how Solomon's life was really defined by all kinds of roles. First way he identifies himself is as a son. He receives a legacy from his father, David, and his job is to receive that legacy and decide, where am I going to take this next into the future? So he has that role in relation to his father, David. We saw some instances of that. Another role that Solomon occupies in Proverbs chapter 1 is the role of king. 
He's the leader of the nation. In that role, he has assignments from God, just like he has assignments as a son from God to honor his father and decide what to do with that legacy. He has assignments from God as king, mold the character of the nation, teach the nation, guide the nation, give the nation right laws that will lead the people to worship God in wisdom and with integrity. So he has that role as well. There's another role, uh, a role of learner in this passage. Uh, It's a major emphasis to know wisdom, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction. So the book of Proverbs is assuming that at different times and different places in our lives, we become learners. We have a learning curve. We get trained in a certain area. We have to come under uh, the authority and instruction of people around us. We need to learn what they have for us so that we can go out and do a good job uh, for them. You can be 51 years old and take a new job in an executive role at a company and realize I have a learning curve. I have things that I need to get my hands around here I need to go back into learner mode. Proverbs is saying that's a role in life, and there are assignments from the Lord in that. Let's look at one role in particular. Um, Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. These are words having to do with your conduct, and we said last time these are citizenship words. We have a role, we have assignments from God as citizens in the market and in the community. We are to conduct ourselves wisely with righteousness, with truth, with justice and fairness in all of the things that we do, with all of the people that we meet, and we are to portray the goodness of God to them in that way as citizens. So what we said last week was basically this. You break down these roles... Wisdom breaks down. If you don't know what your role is from God as a son or daughter, if you don't know what your role as a husband or wife is, if if we don't know what our role as citizens in the market and in the community, we don't know what that is, how are we supposed to have wisdom about our decisions and our conduct? It doesn't work that way. The wisdom of God comes to us through the roles that God has given to us in life. One more bit of review on this. Some roles we're born into. We didn't pick our parents. We didn't pick our siblings. Other roles we choose. We choose to get married. We choose our friends. We choose uh, careers and and different things that uh, involve us in taking on trust from other people. So roles aren't necessarily coming down from on high. Roles often result from the choices we make in life. Um, So all of these are aspects of the wisdom of God in Proverbs. Now, having said that, let's get another principle from Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to build up to what duty is here in a moment. The second principle is this. God has given us all 
the assignment to do good to each other. There are goods that we all need. And one of the things that Proverbs is designed to do is to help us understand how to give those goods to each other. That's uh, at the heart of this. Um, When we talk about verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. When we talk about these things, we're saying there is a human need for righteousness. We need it. We need people to be straight with us. We need people to tell us the truth. We need promises to be kept. We need to be kept safe. Um, We need justice. There were more shootings last night in Florida. And every time this happens, something comes out of us that God put in there. It's a human need. It's a need for a good to address a wrong that has been done. And that good is called justice, that those who did the wrong would be punished for the wrong that they have done. Uh, This is not something that is barbaric. It is not something from the past and the mists of time. This is something that when you have wrong done to you, there's something that cries out from inside your spirit. Address this. Say something about this. Call this what it is. Do something about it. That's justice. Justice is also being dealt with fairly. That what you pay for, you receive. You don't get swindled. Um, All of these kinds of things are human needs. And what Proverbs is saying is, Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, I will teach you how to give good to the people around you. I will teach you how to be a source of good to meet human needs around you. If I told you, you can be the person who takes the good of justice and ministers to the hearts of the people around you. If I told you, you can learn how to do that, are you on board with that? I would hope so. You can take the good of wise dealing where everybody wins. You can learn to think that way. You can take that good and you can be the source of that good to your business partners, your fellow employees, your boss, and the people around you. If I told you, you can learn how to do that, who would would stand up and say, nah, nah, I I don't want to give good to the people around me. I just want good for me. No, we don't want that. We want to stand up and be the source of good and meet human needs around us. And Proverbs is saying, you can learn this. You can learn how to give good. Let me tell you an experience I had once. As you know, I'm a violinist, and so the, the tool when I'm playing concerts that I go to work with is the physical violin. 
when that violin isn't working right, the concert doesn't sound very good, I'm unhappy, I think maybe I should just quit, you know, this isn't working out. And so I hit a period a number of years ago where uh, there, was, there was a point at which my violin, the violin I had at that time, just would not give more sound. And I would need more sound. I would need to get louder for certain parts of a piece. And it just wasn't there. I was so frustrated with this that I took it up to a violin shop and kind of a last-ditch effort to um, save this tool and get a few more years of playing out of it. But really, in the back of my mind, just saying, I'm done. I'm tired of this. I want a tool that's going to work. And I, I went up there, you know, basically resigned to the fact that I, I may just have to trade this in, get whatever I can get for it, and get a better violin. The luthier, that's what they call a violin maker, took this violin, looked it over, and uh, he could see that I was frustrated with it. And that man, he is a very good violin maker. He could have exploited the situation that I was in and sold me one of his violins. And I probably would have, would have done what it took to walk out with a new tool, new instrument. He could have exploited it that way, but he looked this thing over and he said, you know, I think your sound post is too tight. Sound post is a little bar of wood that uh, connects the top and the bottom of the violin. And if it's too tight, the violin won't resonate uh, enough. It's, the resonance is getting cut off. So he said, let me try putting a new sound post in there and fit it better. So he did. He cut a new sound post. It was a little more uh, loose, so it allowed more resonance. Brand new violin. You know how much it cost? 20 bucks. <laughs> now, yeah, that, that's this. Here's my point. That man could have exploited my frustration and sold me a very expensive instrument. But he didn't. He said, this is a simple fix. And he spotted it, he made the change, and he got me out the door with more life with that instrument. There, there's a word that we have for this. Integrity. Honesty. Now, the way I felt walking out the door with my violin good to go for another number of years, the way I felt was not just glad that my instrument was better, I was grateful to him for a good that he gave me that cannot be compensated for with 20 bucks. The good is that he treated me with righteousness, equity, fairness, when he could have exploited it. Look, you can't compensate for this. The man did that good action, and so my heart responded with what is appropriate to that, gratitude. Now, hold that thought, because now we're going to talk about 
another principle here in Proverbs chapter 1, and that's action. Proverbs in this trailer for the book is basically saying, I'll tell you how to do this stuff. I'll show you how to think, and this is the Spirit of God talking to us here. I would even go so far as to say, as I've said to you in the past, this is Jesus talking to us here in the book of Proverbs. I will show you how to think so that you are a source of good for the people around you. And I will show you the actions you need to take in any given situation to provide that good. Wanting to do good is not enough. That's not actually doing it. You actually have to make a decision and take an action, take a step in that situation. Proverbs says, through this book you will receive instruction in wise dealing. You've got something that needs to happen in the marketplace, a bid that needs to be offered, um, a correction that needs to be made on the job site, an inspector who needs to be dealt with, whatever it may be dealt with. Uh, That's the wrong phrase. An, An inspector who needs to be listened to and understood. Um, you've got all of these situations and Proverbs is saying there are right actions, there are wrong actions. I'll show you the right ones. We'll break it down so that you can think differently about who you are in these situations. And uh, if we think of this as citizenship, who you are in that marketplace, who you are in that business, in that situation... We'll break it down and we'll, we'll walk you toward the action you need to take there. So sometimes we know we have a role, we don't know what it is. Sometimes we know that our role is to provide a specific kind of good to the people around us in this situation. But we don't know how to do that. What's the step we need to take? Proverbs says, Here's the step. Here's the action you need to take. Let me ask you a question. What does it look like when you have a whole community of people who are taking the actions they need to take to do good for each other? What does that look like? Can we even remember what that looks like? I actually saw this in action one day. A number of months ago, I was downtown and uh, was uh, having lunch with somebody and in walks this guy and on his belt is a big long knife, no sheath and it's, it's not a hunting knife, it's a kitchen knife and it's out there in the open and it's on his belt and visible to everybody in the room. Now, that's dangerous. That's not acceptable. And when the guy's kind of talking to himself and kind of behaving a little off, you start to wonder, what's going to happen here? So there's an easy solution to this. Just leave. Just get out of there. This is someone else's problem. There were a lot of patrons in that restaurant, and we all kind of had the same thought at once. This is my problem. This is my town. 
these are my people. And if something's going to happen here, I have a role to play here. So uh, it, all of a sudden I, I started thinking, okay, somebody should call the cops. Well, a, a guy had already beat me to it, and he, he went out, got on his cell phone, he was calling the cops. Somebody needs to tell the owner. I looked for the owner, and somebody was already talking to her. You know, this guy could, we don't know what he's going to do. So we need to just kind of be watching this. All sorts of men in that place were watching this guy, and two guys were just shadowing him, not getting close, but they were just around him. Wherever he went, they went. No escalation, no yelling, no screaming. We've got this. That's what this looks like. And a good was given by those citizens to each other because they understood this is my town, this is my place, these are my people, these children in here are not going to see this dangerous thing if that's where this goes. They're not going to see that. It is my role to give them the good of protection. And I'm going to do that. So we did. We together did this. That's duty. Duty is good. You say, well, that's authentic and it's sincere. Well, maybe some of us didn't want to hang around for the problems that might result from that. Who wants to sign up for that? But there are some things you do because it is right. They're duties. So we did that. That's what that looks like. It reaches the point where something kicks in gear and you say, I have a role here. I'm going to take action on this thing. So just to review here, wisdom comes to us through the roles that we have in life and it it tells us you are a good provider to the people around you. That's, That's part of your role. So in your role, here is the action you need to take right now in this situation to provide this good and meet the human needs around you. This is profound. If you build this kind of church, oh, the power of God that we see. If you build this kind of town, you build this kind of state where these things are handled because people know their role, they understand they are there to provide good and they take action to do that and it's wise action. What a powerful thing. It starts to sound an awful lot like self-government. That's what this is. So that's what Proverbs is talking about. That's what it means. That's where it's coming from when it gives us this category of duties. So if we want to receive wisdom, one of the things we've got to put back into our thinking is there's something I owe in this situation. I owe it because it's right and it's who I am here and I am going to give what I owe. I'm going to do my duty. Now, let's give some reasons to think this way. Because at the place we're at, 
not just as a society, but as Christians, where we've convinced ourselves that authenticity and sincerity is what really matters and that duty is a four-letter word. When we've convinced ourselves of that, we actually have to make the case why doing, doing your duty is good for you and for the people around you. So what I'm going to do right now, we're going to make that case. First thing I'm going to do is give you an argument for duty from the consequences of getting rid of duty. What happens when we get rid of duty in society? What does that look like? Let's think about four-way stops. What does a four-way stop intersection look like in a society where the people do not acknowledge duty? It looks like Chico is what it looks like. (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it. There's a thing that I just don't understand. There's a certain kind of driver drives too slow and then does not stop at the stop sign. So we're creeping along and then there's just this this sort of pause and a tip of the hat at the stop sign, but we're just going to keep right on going. It is the most infuriating. Uh, so that's a little editorial right there. If that's you as you drive away from church, amend your ways. Uh, <laughs> so let's think about four-way stop. Four-way stop absolutely depends on people knowing what their role is. Two cars arrive at the same time. Who gets to go first? The one on the right. That's their role in this situation. That's the assignment they have. They really need to go. It is not polite not to do your duty at that point. You're just holding everybody up. So there's a role to be had there. Four-way stop depends on people knowing what action they need to take and taking that action. They need to stop and they need to go and they need to know when those things happen. What if we don't have a society that has a concept of duty, and everybody just says, well, four-way stop is whatever you can get away with? Well, then you have to take action, right? So what actions are we going to take to ensure that people stop at four-way stops? Let's try this. We could equip every four-way stop with gates. You come up to the gate, and when you you, you get the rollback, and when that rollback happens, the little eye on the gate allows the gate to go up, and then you can go. But let's suppose that doesn't work. Maybe they just really don't care about their paint job. They just drive right through the gates. People could do that. So then what? Okay, so let's do that thing where you, you have uh, the, the things that pop up and they will destroy your tires if you, if you do that. And it's the same, same exact thing. You, you've got the gate there and that will go up, but if you try to drive through that gate, your tires are a goner. Okay, so we'll do that. What if that doesn't work? What if people just will not do what they are supposed to do, and our job as a society is to coerce them into doing their duty. Snipers. (laughs) Just 
is, is this what we have to do? Is it build some towers around the four-way intersections? You just take them down. I mean, it just Rambo this thing. The consequences of getting rid of this category of duty are that eventually you have to coerce people out of their authentic and sincere lack of interest in doing their job. And as you coerce them, the cost of coercing them goes up. The amount of force you have to apply goes up. And then you have a society that is not free. You have to force people to do what they're supposed to do. Seeing a correlation here, duty and freedom have an equal sign between them. And what's the key? Voluntarily doing what you're called to do. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? We don't want to do our duty voluntarily. That's the whole issue. That's why we sincerely do not want to do our duty. That's why we tell ourselves that it's okay to be authentic and just let our duties slide. And uh, so maybe an argument from consequences really isn't enough. Maybe it's okay with us that we live in what is becoming a police state in many ways in order to coerce people into, into doing what is right. Maybe, that's, maybe we can live with that. But we're Christians. And there is an example that we are called to look to. I would like you to turn there. Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. Luke 22, 39. Paul read this for us earlier in the service. You know the story. Let's look at this from the point of view that God all down through the ages, has promised to pay for the sins of his people. He has promised to send that sacrifice. Jesus came to this world, he said, with the mission to fulfill that promise. I did not come to be served, but to serve, and serve how? To give my life as a ransom for many. Ransom, payment, on the cross, you realize that that is Jesus' duty because of the promises of God, and he did it freely. You say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. If it's duty, you have to be coerced into doing it. And if it's duty, it's not free. That is not true. In fact, it's deeply untrue. The source of that lie is hell. Duty and freedom not only coexist, they're hand in glove. Jesus has a role to play. It is the role of a son to a father. And as a son, he has covenanted with his father to save sinners. And in saying that, he has said, I will take on the role of sacrifice. I will give my life for sinners. You know what happens? He reaches 
the garden. On the night he is betrayed, right before he is betrayed, and there is part of him that does not want to do this. Verse 39, he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is your duty right now. That's your job. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, what role is he in here? He's in the role of a son. What role is he anticipating? The role of sacrifice. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to shed my blood for this. I don't want to become sin like we sang about in the song so that we could become His righteousness. I don't want to do that. I don't want to become this shameful thing. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now here's the moment we really need to pay attention to. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Well, Jesus, He should be more sincere. He should have loved us with greater authenticity than to just go to the cross because it was His duty. You realize that the story of Jesus might end in the Garden of Gethsemane if He believes in authenticity like we do? These are some of the stakes biblically bound up in that four-letter word, duty. He did this freely. He took it on freely. This was the only way. He knew it, and he gave his life, he gave his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Because he did that, we live. And we are forgiven, and we have eternal life ahead of us. When he takes hold of the new role that he has, king of kings. Is duty important in the Christian life? Duty is the foundation of the Christian life, friends. It's not our duty, to be sure, but it is the duty of Jesus Christ, and he did it. And so he did good for us and gave it freely by meeting the need of human beings with the action of the cross. That is the call on our lives. If we want wisdom, that is how we start to think. I was bought with a price. I am not my own. And therefore, I owe things to God, out of the joyful gratitude and love of my heart, I owe things 
to the people around me that as I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, so I will love my neighbor as myself. And that Jesus has bought us the opportunity to learn these things. Let's test our hearts for wisdom. First question, what do I owe? In any given situation, is this the question that you're asking? What do I owe? What am I called upon here to do? What action am am I to take in order to provide this good to the people around me? If you try to do this out of fear, then we may as well just take what Jesus did in Luke 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane and throw it away. Because we are not to operate out of fear, anger, resentment, any of those kinds of things. We are to step up to these things even when they're sacrificial and say, God is good for this. I owe people in Jesus Christ good. And so I'm going to give that. I'm going to do my duty. Are you asking this question? If you are, you are on the path of wisdom. Whether you just started today or whether you're new at this in the last year, doesn't matter. Proverbs reaches out and affirms, you're wise, you have understanding. And if you keep going on that path, you are going to be a source of good and you are going to give glory to God. Second question. What will I trust God to supply so that I can do my duty? You know that song we sing? Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be miserable in Jesus. (laughs) To be happy in Jesus. The contentment, the serenity, the peace, the calm of a Christian is in saying, I can't do it all but I have a role in this situation and I was put here to provide good and meet these human needs and here is the action I am called to take. I'm going to take that action and I'm going to do it now. And if that action costs me, I can trust God to supply what I lack. You see how doing duty and faith They are hand in glove. They are really the same action. Doing our duty voluntarily is really just saying our faith without words. It's putting action behind our faith. And that should sound familiar from, from James. Show me your faith by what you say. I'll show you my faith by what I do. That's kind of what he was talking about here. So here are two questions that test for the presence of wisdom. Is this DNA operating in you? The DNA of the Spirit of God saying there are actions that you owe and God is with you. And as you take these actions, He will pour out grace and power and goodness in you and through you. And it will lead you to peace and joy, and gratitude, and it will give good to the people around you. We've got some 
uh, questions here. So let's see what we've got. Okay. How is the congregation pastor and elders to deal with those who may have abdicated their duties in a marriage, infidelity, abuse, or another similar issue? Um, Excellent question. That leads us directly to the other practice that uh, congregations have not exercised at all, and that is the practice of what we call church discipline. The, the practice of Matthew 18, uh, where we go to each other and uh, individually uh, we work out the conflicts of sin that we have and um, we pursue these things. And if necessary, we come to the place where someone is not doing their duty and they've rejected the counsel of everyone around them. There is a time for us to say, we don't have fellowship we're not going to go along with you in rejecting all of this. Um, and um, there is a time for that. And um, we have done that here as a church. Um, I've done it in past ministries. I will tell you, the Lord works through that process. It is a miraculous process because it leads to healing and restoration um, uh, according to the Lord's will in, in any particular situation. So yes, we do have uh, a role to play in those. Um, a follow-up question, isn't duty empty without honor? Yes, it is. That sense that we have a reputation to uphold and that that reputation is deeply valuable and to tarnish it is a shame. So to use that language is to get back into the mode that Proverbs is in and that Jesus is in. With this caveat, we are not upholding our honor because we don't have any. Whose honor are we upholding? Jesus' honor. Because He is our Savior. He died for us. And so the things that we do, we design to express His goodness and uh, to, uh, to honor Him in that way. So from that perspective, yes. Uh, next question. I've heard the phrase, fake it till you make it, in a lot of different contexts and varying levels of agreement. Within the context of this sermon, what is your opinion of this phrase? <laughs> <clears throat> I know what I'm supposed to say at this point. You're supposed to do your, your duty sincerely, so don't fake it. Um, look, we aren't built that way. Let's embrace the call that God has put on us. And if we don't feel like it, let's do it. Let's do it anyway. That is not faking it even though the devil gets in there and, and accuses us, oh, you faker, you hypocrite, you don't want to do this. You're just doing it to get the approval of the people around you. Well, maybe you are. I do things for that reason, but I also do things to glorify God. And if that needs to be 
unmixed, purified, straightened out, who's going to do that? He will. But that's not going to happen by my neglecting my duties. It's not how that works. So um, within the parameters of um, we are learning to do this, within the parameters that we are never going to do anything from pure, absolute, sincere motivations, from that parameter, um, I kind of like the fake it till you make it approach. Dive in. See God work. Your duty can change you as you uh, embrace it in that way. Uh, A couple more questions. These are all excellent. Um, Chico is getting rid of uh, four-way stops with roundabouts, so that should solve all the problems. I am not going to touch that one. There are some things that are too hot for me to handle, and that is one of them. Um, Oh, another very helpful thing. VC21800 is the vehicle code for right-of-way at an intersection. (laughs) FYI. So in case you need that validated. Okay, last one. Um, Shouldn't we be examining carefully the many catchphrases, wisdom of the world, political and commercial slogans um, that are designed to manipulate us. Um, and um, there, there are several listen, listed here. Um, yes, the minute we're asking the question, what is right, what do I owe, then we're back to yes and no. We're back to right and wrong, Either the scriptures say it or they don't say it. And then we have a very uh, straightforward uh, thing to do. Let's go back to the scriptures and let's examine what our society says, what we say to each other. Let's look at it and ask, is this a real duty or is this a fake one? I don't, I've got no time for fake obligations. Um, it's manipulative. It's deceitful. And um, I got too many real obligations to waste time trying to abide by fake ones. And so we're going to end here where we started in a sense. If you're under the gun because of the manipulation of people around you and you're saying, I don't know what to do. I I no longer know what my obligation is. Then you have a very clear place to go. And, uh, and in the context of this body, we have a very clear job to do. Let's confer together about what your duties really are. Let's separate them out. And then we will know what to do and what actions to take.